Christ is risen. Happy Easter, church. I am so glad to be here this morning. I am every Sunday, all the more so today. Uh, my name is Travis Bond. Since um, 2010, I've served as senior pastor here. And on behalf of the entire Medway Community Church family, uh, to those of you who are guests this morning, a uh, warm welcome. We're so glad you're here. You guys have blessed us just by coming and being with us uh, this morning. Um, uh, no zero pressure, but if you want to say hello, uh, like Kathy mentioned, that tear-off strip in the bulletin, feel free, um, fill out whatever info you're comfortable sharing, drop that at the welcome desk in the foyer on the way to coffee on the lawn after the service. And for real, every one of those slips that we get this morning, MCC is going to make a, a donation to Compassion International, which is an excellent organization that is committed to alleviating child poverty. And we are doing that uh, because if you don't know MCC, we are committed to serving um, people all around us as much as we are able, and we are committed to knowing our Bibles. MCC, can I get an amen on that? Amen. We want to know our Bibles. To that end, would you please open up uh, iPad, iPhone, old-fashioned print, whatever you have with you, um, Gospel of Luke chapter 24. New Testament Gospel of Luke, chapter 24. If you want to use one of the Black Bibles, I think you'll find it helpful to follow along. And this is on page 885. If you do not have a Bible at all, by the way, we would love to give you one uh, just as our gift on your way out today. So please um, ask for that. Um, our Easter text, which we're going to read here in just a moment, is all about three guys taking a walk. <laughs> <laughs> Which I promise is more interesting than it sounds. Um, because when you walk places, you'll agree, wouldn't you, that uh, you notice things. When, when you walk around town, you notice the, the abandoned soccer ball. Um, you notice your neighbors. You notice who uh, dug up their lawn to put in the new gas line. Uh, when, you, when you walk places, you have opportunity to notice things and to think about things and talk with other people. Um, uh, last weekend, I somehow found myself ascending um, a very snowy mountain up in New Hampshire, all the way up, all around, and all the way back down with a, a few friends. And um, uh, along that hike, when I was not mouth breathing or clutching my chest, as we snowshoed through you know, 18 inches uh, base of snow, uh, I really did have a lot of opportunity to notice things, to talk with other people, to think about all kinds of stuff. Um, and then we come to this morning's text, which um, is not just about a walk, of course. In truth, this narrative that I'm about to read, this historical event, is almost too wonderful for words. The account that we're about to, uh, to read occurs uh, just several hours after the resurrection of Christ. Uh, women, if you know the the series of events, the timeline, women have already been to the tomb. They have raced back. They have told the other disciples what they found or rather didn't find. And then this is what happens next. So Luke 24, I'm going to pick it up at the 12th verse. And I remind you as I read that, that this now is the very word of our Lord. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves, 
And he went home marveling at what had happened. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near to them and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth a man who was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, Oh, foolish ones. And slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened. And they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together saying, The Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. Thus ends the reading of God's word. If you are the note-taking type, we did leave a little space inside the bulletin. If you want to use that or if you just appreciate a few verbal handholds as we walk through the text here, um, here's the first header that I wrote down. Disciples withdrew. Disciples withdrew. Specifically, these two disciples withdrew 
from Jerusalem. Uh, these, uh, to be clear, these are not part of the core 12, uh, slash that, make that now 11 because of Judas. These are other disciples, other followers of Christ. One of them is not named at all. The other is named Cleopas, which is probably, but not definitely, a variant of Clopas, uh, who we know because his wife, uh, Mary was an eyewitness and present at the crucifixion on Golgotha. Um, regardless, really, of who they are, specifically what matters is that they withdrew from Jerusalem with shoulders slumped and back bent because they just spend their, their weekend at a funeral. As far as they know, um, there's very little good in Good Friday at all. They're, they're depleted, they're demoralized. Uh, Luke is one of the four gospel writers. Think, um, if you're unfamiliar with the structure of the Bible, four gospel books. Think biographers of Jesus, each one writing from a different perspective. Unlike some of the other uh, gospel writers who detail multiple resurrection appearances of Jesus, Luke largely focuses on just one, the Emmaus Road. And as we just read, he goes into some detail here. Um, To the point that... You can begin to feel when you read through the text a few times um, and you, you listen to their voices in your head, as it were, you can begin to feel the agitation of these men. Verse 14, they were talking with each other. The original Greek there is alelon. Um, even the sound of it has this sense of to and fro. Uh, verse 15, they were discussing together. The Greek word there is suzeto. It means to examine or dispute. The, the idea here is that these individuals on the Emmaus Road keep pitching back and forth between faith and unbelief. And you guys just read it with me. It's it's fairly apparent that unbelief is winning. Um, Because not everyone in Jerusalem woke up early like those few women did. Um, Some of the folks in the city, probably a, a heavy, a number of them, would have woken up in Jerusalem largely apathetic to just what occurred on Friday. Um, some, some certainly in the city, they woke up downright antagonistic to this Jesus and his merry little band of followers. And then there would have been some, like these two, and perhaps like some of us here this morning, who woke up with no small amount of confusion or in a bit of a quandary. Yeah. Kind of wanting to believe something, wanting to believe someone, but not knowing what, and not sure who. It's Easter. I'm supposed to feel something, religious, spiritual, something. And indeed, it is true. I'd like to believe in something or someone, but I'm not really clear what or who. One preacher suggests the agitation of these individuals is representative of the emotional and the intellectual struggle that men and women face all of the time. And I I think that's probably accurate, that some of us here today, surely in a room this size, we gather here this morning, um, and through all variety of measures, we've been been trying to to salvage some meaning and some purpose in our life, but it just, nothing really takes. You know, back when we were in high school, We hoped that it would happen when we finally graduated. And then when we were in college, we hoped we would find some purpose and some real meaning in a career. And then once we were in our career, we imagined maybe when we get married, maybe when we have kids and start the family. And yet now, maybe 
20, 40, 60 years down the line, there's still this at least background pervasive sense of purposelessness that just kind of hangs in, in the midst of the accumulation of things and, and the accumulation of experiences. Does any of it really matter? Why am I here? Where did I come from? Where am I going? Does it really matter? And it's in, in the midst of all this that we find these guys. Except for them, you've got to add to their experience the image of a, a beloved, now dead friend whose limp body is pulled down from a Roman cross. And you begin to get a sense of these men's despair, right? As they're walking along the road. And it's in the midst of all that, <laughs> which is kind of a dire scene, that things just kind of get comical. Um, I hope you sensed something of the humor in this scene. I think that that's how Luke wrote it intentionally. Jesus walks up to these guys, but their eyes, verse 16, if you've kept your Bibles open, their eyes were kept from recognizing him. So there's kind of miraculous blinders placed on these guys. And then in the dialogue, I mean, it almost sounds like Jesus is teasing them, right? Why, why didn't he just show them who he was? He could have done that. Ta-da! <laughs> Surprise! It's me! It's, it's obviously purposeful. We'll get to that in a minute. But in the meantime, verse 17, verse 18, Jesus is just playing along. Oh, really? He says, there was a guy named Jesus. Oh, tell me more. And they're like, verse 19, you haven't heard what happened in the city? Apparently, this was widely known. By this would be like November. You didn't hear about the election? You didn't hear what happened there? You have not heard what happened in the city concerning Jesus of Nazareth? And of course, at this point, Jesus has his hand over his name tag, which says, hello, my name is Jesus of Nazareth. (laughs) But listen to the way that they talk, right? Because this is what Christ is drawing out of them. They're talking past tense. Verse 18, the things that have happened. Verse 19, Jesus was a prophet, mighty in deed and word. Verse 21, we had hoped that he was the one. Even as they talk, there's this ping pong back and forth between faith and unbelief. Well, you know, they're saying there there were some straws in the wind, verse 24, uh, because the women said that they saw angels Ah, but they're just women. <laughs> women are all emotional. You can't trust their testimony. Literally, you could not trust their testimony. In Roman Jewish jurisprudence, women had no standing whatsoever. Which is a footnote. If, if this whole thing is made up, it's a really goofy way to do it. Have the women, who could not even give credible testimony in a court of law, be the ones who discover the risen Jesus, while the male leaders power in a room. If you're going to start a religion, that that is not how you would do it. (laughs) The women saw the angels. These guys continue. So us, us men folk went down to the tomb, but him they did not see. It's interesting how they talk. Mostly past tense, but their focus is still on Jesus. Right, on this seven-mile walk out of Jerusalem to this little village named Emmaus. We don't know a whole lot about it, 
But certainly along that way, I mean, their entire faith has been shattered, yet still they speak of a hope that Jesus would have been prophet and redeemer. And then we think as we move through it, might there be some application there for us? Because, I mean, I don't know why you strolled in here today. Could be because you're faithfully gathering with God's people every day of the week for 45 years. It could be because grandma dragged you and you had to get here to get to lunch. (laughs) This is just the means to an end. This was the stipulation. Well, that's all right. Grandma, I'd like to kiss you. (laughs) Whatever reason you're here, can I just say, whether it's because of your your job, because of your kids, because of your marriage, because of your ex-marriage, it's been a hard road for you for a time, maybe. Your faith is weak, but Christian, even as you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you're still clinging to the cross. Maybe by your fingernails, but you're still holding on. Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. I don't want you to miss that the entire time these individuals are pouring out their hearts and their sense of what they have just lost. Jesus was standing beside them. Does that have any spillover in your life? That in the midst of the shipwreck, in the midst of your despair, Jesus is there still. I'd like to tell you that at this point, Jesus was very warm and compassionate to his two companions. But instead, Jesus now calls them dummies, (laughs) which begins our next section, Scripture Review. You got disciples withdrew, and then you got the next section, Scripture Review. It begins around verse 25 or so. And he said to them, oh, foolish ones. I don't actually know how he said that. I'm thinking it was not unkind, that it was not harsh but rather instructive because what follows this for the balance of this seven-mile walk is a Bible study. In verse 27, it says, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And for those of us who like a Bible study, we're thinking to ourselves, best Bible study ever! (laughs) Jesus is the one teaching it. And he's like, guys, I don't know. Let's start in Genesis. Oh, look, there I am. (laughs) On to Exodus. Oh, me, once again. (laughs) Leviticus. Oh, son of a gun. Me too. (laughs) Now, what's going on here? Well, if you're new to the Bible, and I know that some of you are, and I'm I'm, I'm really grateful that you're you're willing to give me a hearing here, um, please don't nod off just yet. Because this is really important. The Old Testament, which is about 70% of the Bible or so, the Old Testament only makes sense, really, in light of the New Testament. Otherwise, we're just going to read it, and it's going to be telling us like moralism stuff and morality and behavior modification, and that's just that's the way it comes across to us. You've got to read it 
backwards in light of the New Testament. Um, it's kind of like the, the sixth sense. You guys all saw that movie? You guys did see that movie, right? Spoiler alert. <laughs> Bruce Willis is dead at the end. I'm sorry if that ruined it for a few of you. You have had 18 years now. When you think about it, that movie is kind of the anti-gospel, right? <laughs> because you find out the hero was dead all along. <laughs> and here, well, after you've seen the ending of that movie, don't you go back and watch it again in a whole new light? In fact, if you like listen to the director's track, you know, they talk about staging the scenes in such a way that you didn't really notice the first time around, but he never actually interacts with the living people. And it, you, you get to the end of the movie, you watch it again, and you realize all the pieces. Oh, son of a gun. That was brilliant. That was put together really well. That was one guy who did it over, I don't know how, maybe he wrote it for a year and then he uh, filmed it for four months or whatever. So now we got a Bible put together by at least 40 different authors over thousands of years. And it's kind of like that, except how much more? All the different pieces fit together. Jesus is saying to these followers on the, the Emmaus Road, he's saying everything that Moses and the prophets proclaimed was about the Messiah and how the Messiah would suffer. And so, I don't know, maybe around mile two, they're finally getting to it. Cleopas, you remember? Genesis 3.15, the seed of the woman will crush the serpent, but the serpent will strike his heel. It's all about how this promised Savior, way, way down the line, is going to have ultimate victory over the evil one. But the evil one will do him great suffering in the process. He takes him through it. Somewhere around mile four, they probably wound up in Psalm 22. All who see me mock me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. And those of us who read our Bibles backwards understand, <laughs> King David wrote a detailed description of the crucifixion of the Messiah 900 years before crucifixion was a thing. It wasn't invented for another millennia. And then somewhere around mile six on the road, they get to Isaiah 50. I offered my back to those who beat me. I did not hide my face from mocking and spitting. The, the promise of a suffering Messiah. It's all over the Bible. But it was almost entirely absent from Jewish thinking. It's like um, at, the, at the Bond House, we have a rule. Uh, no singing at dinner. I don't know if... Does anybody else have this rule? So, you know, Sarah and I, God bless us, we got these four beautiful girls and four beautiful voices, and they just love to sing all the time. <laughs> so it just, you know, we had to have, it became a law written upon the table of their hearts <laughs> we, that, that, that when we're gathered together, it is a time of joy and family togetherness, but at the dinner table, eating, 
and singing must be put asunder. (laughs) Well, in the same way, in the Jewish mind, a ruling Messiah and a suffering servant, they did not fit together. There was no way those two things could fit together. But now we have Jesus opening the scriptures to them, and though they couldn't quite put their finger on it yet while they were still on the road, they would later say, verse 32, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? There's, there's something unique happening there. I mean, just imagine you're walking on the road, very personal, very intimate discussion with your companion, whoever he or she is, In fact, it may have been preceded by great tragedy in your life, and someone comes up behind you on your arm. What are you going to (laughs) do? Well, you either speed up to get ahead of them, or you slow down and you let them pass, especially if they use you and foolish in the same sentence when they first meet you. But here, as Christ spoke to them, something happened. Because when they finally reach their village and Jesus says, I'm just going to go on now. They say, no, please, stay with us. They, they open up their homes and hospitality. Stay here. They were compelled because they were reading their Bible backwards. When we allow the New Testament to interpret the old, the old becomes blazingly clear. The Messiah was promised for you. The Messiah came for you. The Messiah suffered for you. That's what's so good about Good Friday. By faith, the Christian believes. This is the core of Christianity. This is the very center of it. By faith, the Christian believes that he became sin. He took our sin upon himself while we took his righteousness upon ourselves. And the whole of Scripture speaks to see it wasn't just a story here or a passage there. Adam and the apple, Noah and the ark, Daniel and the lions, the whole thing was a signpost to Jesus. A long time ago, a guy named John Calvin, he said it like this. And I think this is really helpful. It's a few sentences. He says, Christ is Isaac, the son of the father offered as a sacrifice yet did not succumb to death. Christ is Jacob, the watchful shepherd, who has such great care for the sheep. Christ is Joseph, the compassionate brother, who in his glory was not ashamed to acknowledge his brothers. Christ is Moses, the sovereign lawgiver, writing his his law upon their hearts. He is Joshua leading us to the promised land. He is King David bringing all rebellious power to subjection. He is King Solomon governing in peace and prosperity. This is what we should seek in the whole of Scripture, to know Christ. If one were to sift thoroughly the law and the prophets, he would not find a single word which would not draw and bring us to Jesus. So you see, This is why at Medway Community Church, we are New Testament Christians who love the Old Testament because through it, Good Friday makes sense. Turns out Easter Sunday was promised 
all along. That the most horrible thing that ever happened would somehow be made the most wonderful thing that ever happened. That he would wash our feet. We would pierce his. Silence. Three beats. And then the stone is rolled away. I'll do this last one quick. Disciples withdrew. Scripture review. Final breakthrough. That's the last one. Final breakthrough. They invite him to stay in Emmaus. They sit down for dinner. I don't know if it was the way he broke the bread. I don't know if it was the the nail scars that suddenly they noticed on his hands. Um, Whatever it was. Verse 31, if you've kept your Bibles open, their eyes were opened and it comes clear. And they rose at that same hour, verse 33, and returned to Jerusalem. They just withdrew from Jerusalem. And now they return to Jerusalem. 14 miles round trip. But there's no weariness in their steps. They're off like a shot back to the city, back to tell everyone, he's alive. He's alive. By the time they get there, everyone else says, yeah, Peter's already seen him too. Turns out the women were right all along. (laughs) Which means one thing, church. Well, it means two things. We should listen to women more closely. But more importantly than that, It means there's one life-altering, reality-shaping, earth-shaking implication for this. This means that if we place our faith in Jesus, we are more sure to arise from our graves than to arise from our own beds. A Puritan a long time ago named Sibs, he said that. We are more sure to arise from our beds than we are to arise rats. (laughs) Now I just left you all confused. (laughs) We're going to rise from the dead, people, by faith in Christ. And you think about those we've lost, those who've gone before, by faith in Christ. We don't just talk about seeing them again in kind of a wishful esoteric. It's a real thing. Christ put to death, death. Where, O oh, death, is your sting? Where, O oh, death, is your victory? And listen, if this is entirely unconvincing to you. If you, if you head out today, and, and we'll see each other again at Christmas, I'm sure. I, want, I wish you all the best. I really do. I, I wish God's blessing upon you and your family and your household. And I'm so grateful um, that, that you are here today. But for others, if you, if you sense that God's kind of poking at you there for months, maybe years, if there's a sense that, that Christ is breaking through the, the skepticism and the diffidence and this desire to live for self, I want to invite you to pitch between faith and unbelief no longer. We got a, a, a prayer team immediately following the service like we do every Sunday. They'll pray with you about anything. They'll pray with anyone confident of just one thing that faith in the resurrection means 
we are more sure to rise from our graves than we are from our own beds. Thank you for joining us for today's message. Medway Community Church would love to welcome you as our guest one day soon. Our church family meets every Sunday morning for worship and also offers a wide variety of small group and ministry opportunities. To learn more, please visit us on the web at medwaycommunitychurch.org. We look forward to seeing you soon. Washing all my shame.